Hey folks, welcome to episode 125 of the podcast. Hopefully it's sounding good. I'm in the new studio, things are getting set up. That's all great. It's been a while since I did a bit of an intro and I am going to keep it really short. This week's episode is a big one. It's with a big personality. His name is Sir Steve O. Timothy or Steve Timothy, aka Farmer Michael. And he has amassed a huge following over the last few years with his parodies Uh, pretending to be a farmer called Michael and he's from Galway you're going to really enjoy the conversation and it's very much stripped back and uh, look under the covers of who Steve Timothy really is lots of new stuff coming in the next few weeks a few solo shows so I'll hold my long intros and long rambles for those one on productivity one on lessons in leadership that I've learned from the 130 plus podcasts I've recorded so far and more. If you're interested in a Slack group, which is a community we're kind of building where like-minded folks get together, challenge each other monthly and hold each other accountable, go to the front page of the website and you can scroll down there and find a link to join. We're doing a September challenge and try to do those monthly. If you're a new listener, if you're somebody that hasn't listened to the podcast before, because you're probably a follower of Steve-O, great to have you along. There's 124 other episodes in the archive on the website, so check those out. I always ask for folks to subscribe, because that helps with the ranking in iTunes, which uh, I have my own views on, but no doubt when it's high up there, legitimately, it helps other folks find out about 1% better. And that's what this is all about, letting others learn, hopefully sharing good stories, lessons, and stuff that can resonate with others to make them better. Go to the website, subscribe, rate, review, and all of those podcast apps. Give me some feedback. Let me know what you're enjoying, what you're not, and hopefully we'll keep you on this journey for a long time more to come enjoy this week's episode with sir steve timothy take care folks and enjoy welcome to another edition of the one percent better podcast with your host rob o'donoghue Hey folks, welcome to another episode of 1% Better and over the two and a half plus years that I've been doing this, I think I've interviewed uh, a couple of comedians, um, one I think one from, from Canada and uh, one the other one escapes me right now, but when I was trying to pull together kind of an introduction for tonight's, today's guest, um, a number of different words came up and one is a comedian, another one would be a rapper, uh, another is author or soon to be author, uh, innovator, a creator, uh, a creator of uh, Farmer Michael and Kathleen. And I guess there's probably others, but I, I probably will give it over to my guest tonight, uh, Steve O'Timothy, to maybe add a few titles to, to that uh, long list. Uh, I'd go with professional Tom Fool. That's my uh, self-designated category for myself. I think professional tomfool. Professional tomfool. Well, that's you know that's probably Jack one. Jack of that... all trades, master of none. Is it is professional? Is a tomfoolery an Irish term, or is it something that is known globally? Do you do you know? I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. Pig acting, tomfoolery, peacockery. Hmm. Would would satirist be a good tight word to use? Well, I do satire as well, but I suppose most of the videos would be parody. Some of it involves satire, but the character would be a parody. Okay, okay, very good. I'm Although I did write, I did write satire as well for a few publications. That was my previous incarnation. So, so that's one of the other incarnations that are, that you've you've had. And I'm looking forward to talking to you about your own journey, your own life story, a lot of. Crazy things probably have happened over the last few years that I, I definitely want to hear from your side, from your perspective on. But I do want to start with a very kind of, I suppose, personal, important question. You're an Everton supporter. How did that happen? Uh, I am. Everyone thinks that I got Sinead onto Everton, Everton, and it's actually been the other way around. She got me onto them. So, like, her dad was born in Liverpool, her father... I think it was Stanley Park or something that's near Goodison, basically. So 
that's where the connection comes from. And I always kind of had an affinity for them. And I always kind of, I don't know, it was one of them teams that was kind of seen as the underdog team. And I kind of, because I'm just one of those people that I wasn't huge into Premier League because I was very much Republicanly minded. So I didn't get kind of like, you know, I didn't give too much credence to, to English football. I'd be like watching the Irish teams and see how they're going in Europe. And unfortunately, after Dundalk, I kicked out last night. That's the end of Irish European participation. But uh, I suppose I just, I, you know, I wasn't going to jump. I'm not a bandwagon jumper. And I wasn't going to like when I was growing up, I wasn't going to support Man United or Liverpool or, you know, one of the big clubs. So I suppose it was just Everton. And then when Sinead kind of got me into them, you kind of, you know, it takes your while to get into it, but then you you find yourself checking up the score, and then you know, and you you gradually get into it, then in a bigger kind of way, like so. Mm. And even now, that's the tale. Yeah, like what I when I'm watching you online, and obviously doing the the tour, you were over in Liverpool recently. You've really uh, managed to ingrain yourself in 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 the Everton culture, or the, you know, the, some of the players. I think I saw you at Howard Kendall's wife. You know, how has yeah. that evolved? Oh, it's, it's insane. Like, it's just, you know, we've, we've heard from the players and we've heard from kit managers and everything that they were watching the videos. Like, mm. the, like Wayne Mooney, the whole lot of them, like, were being slagged by the rest of the squad for the videos, for what I'd say in the videos. So, like, when I hear things like that, it's like, oh, my God. You know what I mean? And as you said, then, you know, getting tickets to matches and meeting... Uh, Lily Kendall and she gave us her number and said ring me the next time you're over and I'll get you up in the director's box and we were like Jesus Christ this is it's insane I Mm. suppose in a way then kind of we are you know we are kind of raising the status of Everton in Ireland you know at the same time and like we've had a lot of messages from people like that they're you know, from mams and dads and things that their kids, you know, they were going to get a Man United jersey or Liverpool jersey, but because of our videos, they're going to get an Everton jersey. So that's kind of cool as well on its own, you know, and it kind of, you have to smile at it, you know. So I suppose it really kicked off when we done the the Wayne Rooney video. <clears throat> Excuse me, well, as I call him, Willie Rooney. So we done the video about him leaving, uh, retiring from international football and I made the mistake of thinking he was Irish because of his name and his heritage and stuff and that kind of that was trending in England basically and then all of a sudden like our Twitter followers just started exploding and getting messages from left right centre and then they were like you have to come over and do a show and we sold five nights in St George's Hall which is just insane like it holds 500 and 50 people or something yeah so it was just like oh my god like we we did like we just walked out on stage we hadn't even done anything and we got a standing ovation <laughs> and Sinead started crying and it was like oh so this is what it feels like to be accepted by people because in Ireland you someone would probably call you a faggot or something sorry for the language but they do regularly yeah so it was nice to be in a place where like even like when we went to our first match at Goodison people are coming over shaking your hand. I don't like your videos, I don't really like your comedy, but fair play to you for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, you would never get that in Ireland. If they don't like you, they will vocally attack you. And they don't even know me to begin with. If they don't like the character, they will vocally attack the person behind it. Which I feel, I don't know, is it a, a compliment to the strength of the character that they actually think it's me? But like, you, you wouldn't attack an actor mm. for his role in a movie. No, of, of course not. You and- know, what I guess what does that kind of tell you <clears throat> about is, is it that it, the character is is making is, is it I don't know in some way they're, they're, they're connecting with it in a way that they maybe don't want to and it's making them uncomfortable or, or what do you think the, 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 the psychology I'm not sure. behind I think, it is I think a lot of it is the fact that you're putting yourself out there and you know the old uh, shiny fool can do that kind of thing mm. well then do it kind of thing that it they detest you for your bravery for putting yourself out there and then when they see like that this person that suffers from depression and anxiety and can't even walk is doing better than them that it fills them with hate vitriolic hate they just can't cope with it so the best thing to do is react out angrily mm. and, and, and the you best know, way I can describe it like yeah and, and you're, you're obviously getting much you're getting real time 
um, and regular experiences with that. Like even before we came on, I think just 10 minutes ago, I saw you tweeting um, and I've been following you obviously for the last while and noticing a lot of trolls that uh, are giving you personal attacks on Twitter and online, which I, I guess, you know, happens a lot to people that are getting a bit of um, yeah. celebrity and whatnot. How do you how do you deal with it? How How do you, I suppose keep a, a positive outlook when, when all of that comes your way? Well, I usually ignore it, like, but there was one recently uh, where they started setting up fake accounts and attacking my brother that has a learning disability and calling him a vegetable and threatening to come to our show in Cork to, like, basically batter me. Mm. So that, that that went above and beyond it, so I had to attack back. There was just no way around that, like, you know, you can't ignore things like that because you're you're actually getting threatened, like. Sure. And like I knew it, my heart and soul they'd never come to court and he put up a big status about how he's feeling bullied now and that he had hard uh, life and that me me publicising what he said about me is bringing them all back those bad memories again and I'm like well, why did you do it then you know what I mean it's like you can't blame me now for bullying you you know what I mean so uh, it's just it was, a, it was a case of like poor me I got caught give me pity and no if you attack my brother who has a learning disability I will go through you like I make it my life's intent to make you fucking suffer you know because that's not on whatever about attacking me or whatever about the videos or the content or whatever but that was just uncalled for and that was the first time that ever happened and I knew it was going to happen because I knew the first time I ever put up a picture with my brother Jamie, I was very nervous about it. Sure, sure. Because I thought, you know, someone's going to say a stupid comment or whatever. And I knew they'd come back to haunt me eventually because I suppose in what you do, they will always they will always use something against you. You know, it's just the way people are. And, but that's life, I guess. Like, I'm, I'm trying, and Sinead now, I'm trying to just make a laugh at them, really. You know what I mean? So that's kind of, that was the one I put up on Twitter there a while ago that you probably saw. So I'm just going to try and just like, you know, make a laugh of it and maybe joke about it and see can I, see can I cope with that without uh, getting aggressively angry, which I usually do. But, Mm. you know, I don't know. I just, they're led away with it too much. And I feel it's kind of, you know, if you wouldn't say it to someone in the street, don't say it online. Of course, of course. Well, obviously, the the whole keyboard warriors, um, oh, yeah. Are, yeah. are are out in force a, a lot of the time. Um, and it's a, it's an easy an easy target, I suppose, in lots of ways. When when we chatted a few months back, how we connected, I think, was around the time you were talking about potentially doing your own podcast, which I I hope you will do at some point as well. I want to hear uh, more about you in that respect. Um, and I remember talking to you uh, about posting online and i think you mentioned it already having you know suffering from depression and anxiety and how by even posting that you would instantly lose hundreds and of followers as a result because you know because people think maybe that oh you're just posting this for for attention is that the kind of reaction you you got and you know how you've kind of kind of pushed through that anyway oh yeah i've lost i've lost loads when you when you talk about it people would say oh he's only doing it for likes and then you're like, no, you don't understand how social media works. Mm-hmm. I'm losing likes every time I post something like this. The people just kind of, I don't know if it's you're holding a mirror up to them and they don't like it because they just want escapement through the videos, escapism. So maybe it's just hitting a sore spot or maybe people are there, oh, he's fucking moaning again, you know, kind of thing like that. Or, you know, man up to fuck kind of thing, that kind of stuff. But like, you know, you're going to deal with that and I'm going to be vocal about it because the overwhelming support I get in messages from people who are going through their own thing and I've become a kind of quasi-therapist over the last year or so, but, like, I don't mind, you know. But uh, I don't I'm going to be vocal about it because that's, it's me. I can't, I can't be nothing I'm not, you know what I mean? So, obviously, there's this realistic statuses and then there's jokey me statuses too you know so mm. and and obviously okay, yeah i've seen you posting pictures of of you know taking antidepressant tablets and things like that like you're not going to be taking those for the crack i would imagine and no no or for like yeah and i just it's... got my doctor to prescribe me them just so i could uh, get more likes if only life worked like that 
but but it is part of the destigmatization, I suppose, of 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 a uh, of yeah of life that people have struggles yeah. and making it kind of acceptable to talk about it is is essential. Yeah, I think that, like a lot more people are speaking about it now, but a lot of the people too that are speaking about it, you know, it's okay to not be okay and things, and they might have went through it themselves, and even the ones that do, they're not. I find it I find it condescending almost. Yeah. Like I'd say, look, I tried to fucking kill myself. Life can be shit. Life can be a fucking bollock. Sorry for all the cursing though. But I think that reaches more people because you're being raw and you're being vocal as opposed to like, hey guys, here's some numbers. We all get down now and again. And you know what I mean? And it's coming from people that may not be genuine. You know, so I just like to be... Yeah, I, I, I hear you. And, and what, what strikes me when I see certain posts and uh, on whatever platform or, or hear certain people like there's the authenticity that you sometimes can connect with the person to say yeah I, I believe it I buy into what they're saying and other times you feel that this this doesn't feel right as in it doesn't doesn't yeah. seem to add up now I could be way off the mark there but no no you, you right know. deadly it did right on like dead on the mark it's almost like they've been asked to do it by you know a charity or a mental health organization more so than they're doing it for the sake of their followers or their fans, if you get me. That kind of thing. Not saying they're bandwagon jumping around them, but I just, I see a lot of it. I just like to be visceral and be raw and authentic. Like as soon, like if I'm feeling down or if I pass an anniversary, like, you know, I had my breakdown a year ago yesterday or two days ago when I put that status up and that obviously that got me thinking about that. So, I just, I go to my page and I just start writing and whatever comes out, comes out. I'm not thinking about what if this is taken up the wrong way or should I edit this now or should I, I just, it comes out of me and that's it, post. Yeah. And leave it, you know, and and then I start getting messages and tweets and stuff and, you know, and that's just the way it is, you know. And yeah. Have you, like I would, I would do a good bit of writing and obviously the podcast for me is an outlet to disconnect from the ups and downs of, of life as well and, and share stories and, yeah. and it's it's a great outlet. I, I see in you obviously your 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 rapping originally and the the sketches and, and the comedy. I, I would imagine that's your way of expressing yourself and getting out of the funk maybe sometimes you're in. Would would that be fair to say? Oh absolutely. That's my that's my therapy more than anything like because I done the first video in my car in with my brother like about four years ago now. Mm. And I had them on my phone for a month or two. I didn't even do anything with them. Like, I just thought it'd be funny to kind of record myself, like, and it was Farmer Mike, uh, no, Farmer Martin at the beginning in the first video. And I just thought it'd be really cool because I always used to do a kind of a boggery accent and I used to do kind of raps for the lads just messing around. And I thought it'd be cool just to record it for the craft lab. And then I said, what the hell? I, I had Galway Daily News at the time. That was my kind of satirical website and stuff. Right. So I said, I'll throw it up on this and we'll see what happens. And that's that's the beginning of it kind of went viral and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, people are actually liking these. I think at the beginning, they thought it was real. You definitely could think it's real, you know, when you see it the first first few times or the first series of them. But then you start, I guess, getting <laughs> the, the getting it, I suppose. Sorry for interrupting you there. Oh, you're grand, you're grand. Like, and then at that time, it was only very stereotypical West of Ireland farmer kind of stuff. And like, I don't know if you've watched many of the videos, but like the accent has changed drastically. Like it went through kind of four phases really. So, and then I suppose we stuck to just non-topical things, just very traditional Irish things. And then people started messaging the page and writing comments. I wonder what Michael would think of X, Y, and Z. Right. So then we started doing topical things and more staying up with current things and that kind of exploded it even more than I suppose, you know. So, and the football as well, obviously, in Everton and things like that. Sure. Interested in just the the process you go through to create one. Like, is it, how often are they just one takes and how how much kind of planning goes into it? And, you know, obviously comedy, when you, from what I've learned about comedy over the last few years and talking and to people and that, that do it, the amount of hours and effort that goes into a, say, an hour show or a 10 minutes set even, is relentless. Like for the live shows, yeah, there's a lot of work involved, like because 
like even the last game in Cork, I think we've done about an hour and 15 minutes. And that was the longest we've done, I think, ever. We usually stick to about 50. Right. Because we have a support act as well and an opener. So you try not to go kind of too long. Like, But for the for the sketches themselves, probably let me kind of, I'll check like RT in the morning or Sky News, see what happens. Is there anything big happening or was there a match that we need to do something about? And then, like we call them our envelope sketches. We have an en- envelope in the car and we just take out one and I'll write down maybe three points. And then we try and hit them along the way. Okay. And sometimes it won't work. And I'll be like, nah, that's, no, I'm not feeling that at all. Let's, and then I'll say to Sinead, all right, forget about that. Just turn on the phone. And I'll just go off on one. <laughs> so and if that works out, that works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It's that kind of way. So... There's very little plan, I suppose. The ones we do on mental health or anxiety or if we're doing one on a very touchy subject like the one I've done on Down syndrome or parking and disabled bays, or obviously we think a bit more about that because you're trying to get the satire in without offending. And you're also trying to bend it around to make it funny too at the same time. Mm. So obviously there's a lot more work involved in them ones because, yeah. you know, double entendre and stuff and, you know, you have to craft it in a very specialised way and light-hearted but non-hurtful way. Uh, yeah, and, and essentially with those ones that are borderline, you know, can be taken lots of different ways, could be insulting, you know, an awful lot of people. Do yeah. you just do you just know when when one is okay that you'll get away with it? Or, or like obviously it'll be you and Sinead as it was initially kind of feeling that out. Do you have any other in a close-knit circle to say, what's your take on this? Do you kind of t- test it out or does it typically just go up and hope for the best and sometimes? No, we'd just film it and throw it up that evening or there and then. And so it'd be, like, I'll, I'll drive out to Sinead and like and I'll just go like, uh, or I'll be with her or whatever and I'll go, I've had an idea, let's do one on abortion. And she's like, oh, for fuck's sake. Not again, and I'm like, hear me out, just hear me out for a minute. And she was like, Yeah, I get you, let's do it. Like, uh, I was saying the one there at December Park, and we were asked by the Disability Federation of Ireland to highlight the abuse of disabled parking spots. So, I kind of like Michael's an old fashioned Irish farmer, you know, he's, he's a horrible human being, but he's likable at the same time because he's so wrong about his wrongness, if you get me. So, I was doing a, I was doing a thing, obviously, where pretended to park and Kathleen was like you can't park here it's a disabled spot I'm like, oh, sure, I don't care about that I'll put on my hazard lights that's the international symbol for I'll park where I want and I even done the inverted quote marks with my fingers and then I said like sure disabled people shouldn't be allowed out anyway Kathleen I don't want to have to look at them because they make me uncomfortable if you're going to take disabled people out cover them with a tarpaulin so I don't have to look at them now that to me was like a throwback to the dark old days in Ireland where people were like that mm. you shouldn't be bringing disabled people or people with down syndrome out into public yeah. because people didn't want them hide them away with shame and that's the way it generally was but i got really attacked for that one like people were sending me messages saying i'm the dad of a, girl, a kid with an s and i you know i'd break your face and all this and it was it was i had to turn off my phone for about two days and like then people started kind of getting it and apologizing and stuff. And then it was like, well, maybe if you just thought about that before threatening me, it'd be okay. And then people are saying, but he's disabled himself, so it's okay. And then I was like, but that, no, just because I am, it doesn't, like I'm still fighting, I'm still, even if I wasn't disabled, it would still be okay because I'm fighting your battle. I'm making it known. I'm raising a plight. But obviously there's just, a lot of people just take it wrong and, when emotions come into it with kids and things, I understand that, and then they just bang, they go into a fury. And but the Disability Federation of Ireland they sent me a big framed thing of all the nicest comments, which was really, really cool and really nice. So I appreciated that. So mm, that, that's cool. Uh, to to the point of you know your disability, I think when I again started following you, I didn't realize that you were for for a good while, and then when I saw that you were, and I saw some of the posts did my research i obviously learned about your accident but i think you've even posted people see that and think they're that you're you're joking initially and, and the reaction to, to that is kind of probably a bit um probably strange really i'd imagine is it 
Oh yeah, I'd still get like I'd put like I'd still like if I was to put up a picture of me in my wheelchair tonight in my page, I'd still get the odd comment mocking his catching or that's not funny. Yeah, because people think I'm pulling the piss. And even at shows to this day, even people that would follow us all the time would go like, "What happened to the old leg?" Or the crutch is part of the, the character. And I was like, "No, it's like I've talked about this." Millions of times, like, do people still not get it? Yeah. So it's kind of weird, though. I'm still taken aback sometimes when people don't realize it, like, or when I come into the wheelchair and they're like, Jesus, long here. I'm like, what? <laughs> kind of like, I just end up telling them I, I, I fell off my, I fell off the bed trying on my sister's sneakers. <laughs> so then they kind of laugh and they leave me alone. So, yeah, you have to be just lighthearted about it, I suppose. So. Yeah, yeah, and and I think when when the accident, not to go into too much detail, I know there's a lot written about it, but I guess when you were in a motorcycle accident about how many years ago, thirteen, fourteen years ago, fourteen now, yeah, and after that, watching your clips around when you started to rap, that that was really a a massive outlet for you at the time to kind of come through a lot of the dark times afterwards. Maybe talk a little bit about that if that's okay. Uh, well, I suppose, like, the rap only happened, geez, I only started to, like, I was always massively into rap before it was cool. <laughs> mm. But uh, I only started, like, I've always written raps, but I've never recorded anything. I've never, like, put myself out there, never rapped in public or anything. And I suppose when I had that breakdown, like I was saying, about a year ago, and I was kind of agoraphobic for about two or three weeks, I couldn't leave the house because everything was everything instigated a panic attack like just people walking by outside and stuff or young flip bouncing a ball too loud would be enough to terrify me so I was just sitting in the room and I just like have to do a song about you know about how I feel and depression and suicidal thoughts and tendencies and things so I just ended up like I have recording equipment there and I just said damn it I'm just going to write a song and that will kind of keep me going like and it was even hard to record it because I couldn't breathe. Obviously, I could breathe, but to my, to me, I couldn't breathe properly while I was recording it. So it was hard enough to even vocalize it. But I just, I got through it anyway, and I put it out, and it ended up going to number one in the iTunes chart in Ireland, which was just insane. Like it, it bypassed Lady Gaga for I think about thirteen minutes, and then it was number two for about two weeks, which is brilliant. But even to beat Lady Gaga and the iTunes charts in Ireland like for whatever brief period of time like you know from a guy down in a hole recording at home in his little studio Mm -hmm. in his room I can't leave his house and like you know it was kind of one of my proudest moments I suppose with no financial backing or nothing you know so I kind of I was very proud of that you know so one of my little and like it's not an exactly a nice song or anything, you know. It's it's very raw, and it, it was that way, and it would be that way because of the way I was feeling while recording it, you know. So I wanted it to be dreary and, as I call it, the most depressing rap song ever written. I'd say, you know. <laughs> but yeah, of course, but you weren't writing it. Um, I would imagine to to become number two in the charts or number one in the charts it was just that again going back to the process of getting stuff out and feeling better as a result that seems yeah. to be a pattern yeah I wanted to raise a place basically and so I thought it'd be the best way to go about doing it I suppose and I suppose reaching people that felt like me as opposed to reaching people that don't care about that kind of thing I wanted to speak to people in that hole and feeling that way and like the amount of messages I got from people going like, a, you know, that they've never, they've never heard a song that described everything they're going through. And it was then people that it was written for and it was them and me as well. But like their, their reinforcement and their relate, relating to it so precisely and uniquely got, it gave me great feedback and it gave me great energy off then. Mm. So, they were healing me while I was speaking to them in that kind of way. Oh, definitely. Sounds, uh, you're helping, it's a win-win, I suppose, from that perspective. Yeah. The, the, interested to think of doing the sketches in the car with, with Sinead and 
doing those for a while and building up that massive following and then moving out of the car onto a stage in front of you know hundreds of people how how different that was and you know i get probably not as bad as i used to be but i still get anxious and nervous knowing if i have to do a presentation at work or talk in front of a group and trying to cope with that and deal with it for for me right so if you're you're suffering from anxiety and depression in in parts of your life as well how do you cope with that kind of build up to those shows when you know there's going to be a lot of people there you're very in you know in front of uh, people they're they're hanging on your words just interested to see what your approaches are to cope with that how you how you manage to be i suppose i don't i did i don't to this day i don't really cope with it some like some shows i'll i'll show up for and i can actually get out of the car and go in and have a cup of tea before a show but that's that's very rare Right. Usually I'll be in the car freaking out for an hour or so and then wait till I'm called and just get in and get it done. Because once I'm up on stage for three, four, five seconds, it's gone. And like, no matter how many times I'm trying to positively reinforce myself, nothing, nothing happens. You were up. You know, this happens every time, speed, you get panicky, you can't breathe, blah, blah, blah. You feel like running away. You know, you get shaky, your legs go into spasms, you start to trying to make yourself vomit, you know, and yet after every show you're fine and you can sit there for photos and you're having a laugh. Mm. But no matter how many times I tell myself that, it still comes back before the next show. So I suppose I don't really cope with it. I'm trying to learn coping mechanisms and things, but coping mechanisms are more safety behaviours which which strengthen which strengthen anxiety. Safety behaviours are bad with anxiety because you're you're reinforcing to your brain that there is something to be worried about and that if I didn't do this, X and Z might happen. So like what you're meant to do is not do them. So not holding my nostril open, not sit in a certain way in the car, or, you know. But then you have to cope with day-to-day life at the same time, you know. So like I could I could go up into Air Square now and get out of the car and have Sinead drive away and just leave me there, which would be probably my utmost idea of utmost terrifying idea and I know that would help me but it would also scare the shit out of me and I'd be terrified and probably have a panic attack and probably ring an ambulance so you have to and that would scare me then for ages and I'd be very panicky after that so you have to counter you know you have to live at the same time as trying to counter it and do you get more does the level of anxiety or in in anticipation of a show be, be the same for for each one or if you know you have a sellout show versus one where it might be sold out does that have any impact on you or or bearing on your your mood going into it no not really it will always be it will always be the kind of same if i'm not familiar with the venue that can be more panic inducing or if i you know if it's a tricky venue to get into that can have a big bearing on it because I know I can't bring my chair or there'll be two or three rounds of stairs or it's very far away from where I'll have the car parked because the car is kind of my safety safety zone, my safe zone. So if I'm way away from that, that can have a bearing on it. So if, like, if there's a disabled parking spot right outside and the stage is just, you know, a couple of yards inside the door, the back door, or the side door, then be, oh, I'm good, I'm good. And I, that's a bit easier like but if I have to park way away and go down on the crutches and it's not wheelchair accessible and go up two flights of stairs and right. I can add to it sure. it's about escape like that it'll take me longer to escape and longer to get to the car if I do have a panic attack which I'll inevitably will because I'm worried about that so it's you know you're I was going to say preempting, not be, uh, prophesying, prophesying us, you're bringing it on, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, the, the kind of visualization technique that you might use to imagine, right, I'm going to walk, I'm going to get in there, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to have a great show and feel great all the way through. <clears throat> Those sort of uh, hab practices can supposedly help people in some instances, but. I don't know if that's something you've been trying. It doesn't work out. So I have. I, I'm one of them people that has just, I've tried everything at this stage, I think. Mm. 
and like I've done CBT. Like uh, I think the only thing I did, I've never tried, which I studied when I was in college, was like flooding. Basically, what I was describing a while ago, yeah. going out there and facing your damn fear, you know, constantly. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Throw myself in the deep end and just, and I know it would work. Like I know it would work. That's the thing, you know. If I didn't have, if I didn't have the option or the choice to suffer from panic disorder, which is strange, a strange way of thinking about it. But you know, if I was if I was, I suppose, if I was arrested tomorrow and thrown in prison, my panic would probably soon flutter away, you know. Yeah. Or if I had an accident tomorrow and I, I was amnesia, I know for a fact that day after I wouldn't be a panic disorder sufferer, you know, because you'd have a totally different outlook and you wouldn't remember the panic and you wouldn't remember the fear of that panic attack and fearing it happening again and then obviously making it happen because you're fearing it. No, you're you're dead right. The I, I've actually a few times wrote about certain things. I'm I'm a type one diabetic, so when when I'm obviously insulin dependent, and from the perspective of I don't really have a choice but hmm. to maybe exercise every day or 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 inject every day, or, or, or I'm going to effectively die. So I suppose that the choices I want to live or I want to die, but you yeah, know, the choices I'm taking. So when you take the choice out or take the option out things are a bit more straightforward because you just don't have that will I go on to stage or will I just run for the hills um, so so I, I totally can connect yeah. from a different perspective but it's the same sort of mindset challenge I guess yeah like did you ever think about doing a, a 30 night stretch in a row of, of a venue that it would just kind of to that point like flood flooded constantly out um Oh, definitely. Or just like I was saying, get Chanette to just drop me up in the middle of town and drive away mm. and leave me there. Yeah. You know, I'd have to deal with it. But see, the thing is that, you know, that could backfire and I could have a big panic attack and basically have to ring an ambulance and the scares and the trauma of that experience could set me off in a, a complete another direction too. So you have to be very careful. It has to be controlled flooding. You know, it has to be you'd want a therapist with you or someone with you, you know, you kind of that thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I think from what I'm hearing from you though, there's a a, a huge level of awareness of, of the triggers in a way. So you're, you're not going to air square and being left there. Or if you have done it already, you know, not to do it again sort of thing. So there's some management and controls in place to, to prevent yourself from going into those places. Yeah. Like I have, I wouldn't have situational panic. Like, yeah, I could, I could, be watching TV here at 11 o'clock at night and have a panic attack or I could be about to perform in front of 500 people. So like, I wish it was situational or I wish it was social because then I'd know where to go to stop it. But I can panic anywhere. You know, I can be on my own in the most relaxed place on earth or I could be in the car with all the lads shouting and roaring and going to a gig to perform to a lot of people. Mm. So, Obviously, some things are more panic-inducing or generalized anxiety-inducing. Like, but yeah. like I said, my status the last day, like when I had the the bad spell, like I went to my doctor and said, like, can I please have the the panicky Steve back? I wanted the normal panicky and anxious Steve back, as opposed to the extreme panicky Steve. Like you know, I said to like my uh, psychologist as well, can I? I'd like to get back to where I was before, even though I was a nervous wreck. So that showed how much it had progressed, that I wanted to get back to, because I was coping and I could deal with it. I, I can can understand uh, to a certain extent exactly what what uh, what you're talking about there. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about, and not to kind of deviate from, from that topic, but I suppose it goes back into the shows and your, it's kind of like a, a, a U, an Irish and UK tour that's ongoing at the moment. I know you have a lot more gigs coming up and it was good that I couldn't make, make the Cork one at the weekend, but it's great that we're, we're chatting now. You were probably better off. It was a good show, but we won't go into too much detail about, <laughs> about the venue. I saw you tweeting afterwards. What was there? Oh God. Oh God. I Go- think, yeah, the, the title of the show must have confused them, Farmer and Michael show, because there was one mic and one chair. Oh God. So, yeah. Right. Cause that I said the better. Yeah. Because <laughs> even the venue, when I saw where you were, um, 
it was like oh my, I wasn't aware that was a place that would kind of do shows like that so I didn't know if, if yeah it was well see we've done two we done a double show with them last year and it was it went really really well and it was a one so we said we'd go back again right so obviously we won't be back there again anyway that's for sure cork up a house again the next time so very good. Well, let me know next time because I can bring a second mic along if you're if you're stuck for one. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. I have a few spare here. We're going to buy about ten of them ourselves now and throw them in the boot for future future learning. Yeah. Always have a backup. That's a key key yeah. learning I've had. Um, yeah, that's the thing that really annoyed me though. Even if they thought it was just a one man show, you'd always have a backup anyway. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, you know, so, absolutely. Yeah. Something like you know, even a kind of yeah. one of those wireless lapel mic type things should be lingering yeah. around somewhere. Something, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, you leave your comment card afterwards there and let them know about <laughs> that. Uh, just on the material in the show, then, because it's so different to being in the car. How how does that? What, what I suppose? What do you focus on during the hour long show, and how does it change? Does it change from? venue to venue because of the audience might be different because you know if you're in Cork you might be talking about Langers and you know if you're in Liverpool yeah, you're Scousers yeah. And... yeah but we'd always have a 5 to 10 minute intro of where we are and a bit about them places and a bit about Michael's misconceptions about the, the locale and things like that and obviously uh, it's kind of like me and Sinead on stage Sinead has like a book it's kind of like, almost like a fake interview asking my opinion on certain topics and then I'll go off messing with the crowd or whatever and she's it's, it's like in the car she's trying to keep me in line and I'm going off on the tangent now and again and then I'll interrupt her and sing one of the songs or something or a song here and there and so it's all kind of that kind of stuff like it's it's, it's managed but measured it's the best way to describe it I suppose and I would imagine there's interaction with the crowd oh yeah like a lot of people don't like hecklers, so I I adore them. I adore heckling because I I don't like people talking during it though, or shouting up when I'm about to crack the joke. Right. That kills me inside. So you're always aware of okay, I know that's the one there now, and the two lads there with the pint glasses there, there, yeah, I can hear them. They're talking again. They're talking again. Wait till they die. Say it. Do I delay? You know what I mean? Will I fill it up in another five seconds of talking just? so they won't interrupt the punchline. We always have to kind of be thinking about them things at the same time, and then, you know, Sinead is waiting to go on to the next base and is waiting, reading off me. So there's always them kind of little elements, but heckling is good, but just not talking or shouting up when I'm about to crack the joke. That's, that can kill it. Mm, interesting. And is there, outside of Liverpool, where you've really kind of connected very well there is there other venues that have gone down really well that stand out over the last uh, couple of years oh most of the places we've done in England like like Cottier's Theatre in Glasgow like we've sold that out again already we sold it out the last time so we're back there again and London as well we're doing the Irish Centre in London which is kind of the iconic Irish Centre in the UK I suppose like and they'll be sold out not being cocky, but they will be because they're selling well. Like so, yeah. we're not there till November. So, and we done two shows in London as well last year, and they were sold out. It was in a different venue though, but they were cracking shows. Like, and it's just nice over there now because we've kind of reached the the stage where it's not just Irish people or people of you know people of Irish origin. It's locals as well, you know. So we've kind of you get native English people saying native Scots and native, you know, as opposed to just Irish people coming or second generation Irish. Mm. And and you find that they get the joke, like they get who Farmer Michael is. Do you think that's the, oh god, yeah, yeah. I think like I think it's universal. Farmer Michael is, yeah, he's universal because everyone around the world has an uncle or a granddad that's like that. Like it's just a generational thing, isn't it? And that's, as you said, pretty much universal. Like we'll always have an elder familial relative that'll be still stuck behind the time of modernity and the move, the change in zeitgeist. You know, that's just an experience the world has. Like, yeah. well, definitely in our our age, I suppose. Like you, I'm whatever forty one, and I think you're mid late thirties anyway. I think from what we talked about before, yeah. so that next generation up from us in 20 years time they're probably going to be uh, not not around a lot of them so i wonder what uh what will be replaced like you know if that that'll die yeah, out i suppose yeah because yeah, i just remember like older relatives and older relatives of friends going back you know when you were like nine or ten 
in like the early 90s or 1990 or whatever and my god they were like they were demented like <laughs> but that was their generation like that was that was the way they viewed the world and it was kind of scary looking back at it now you know but that was the reality of it and I suppose Michael it's going to an amalgamation of all those people I've wandered wandered into during my life you know so yeah I would say an awful lot of that. their memory alive yeah, and, and I, I totally get it, and I, I've thought about this, you know, even my grandparents might have been similar, um, and a lot of it probably is just the fact that the world was such a bigger place in those days, and, you know, when, yeah. when they see somebody from Africa or from China for the first time ever walking down the street, and they're just like, good Lord, what, you know, what's happened there? And yeah, it's, it's this yeah kind of, they, they wouldn't know, like, it wasn't a... It wasn't an ignorant ignorance. It was in, just an innocent no ignorance, really, people. wasn't it? They, yeah, they just they were they were just astonished, I suppose. You know, it was just the I suppose the exotic. Like I suppose you could consider a a, a, a rarely uncontacted tribe seeing a white man <laughs> with a big beard. You know, it'd be it'd be a similar thing. They were so like exotic and strange to people, like threatening, probably. Threatening too, like the, the the other, obviously the you know the kind of the out there, the, <laughs> yeah, to be frightened because I can't understand. Yeah, exactly. Uh, discomfort that comes with it. Um, no, very very true. I'm interested as well to talk about your your now book writing expedition that you you and Sinead are, are on, and it's 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 around Everton as well, isn't it? Naturally, it would have to be your first book, wouldn't it? <laughs> You're well, definitely going for a take? season ticket over there, anyway. That's for sure. <laughs> They'll probably ban us from the club, lifetime ban after they read this. No, but it's it's obviously a, a light-hearted, Michael-infused uh, book about his Michael's understanding of Everton and his his fake created glory in his head and his misunderstandings of everything about what football or soccer sports as he calls it is so it's going to be and then like Sinead obviously has Kathleen's corrections after every chapter just to kind of set the reader straight but it's it's there's a good bit of it written already now and I kind of snuggle back reading certain little paragraphs and things so I'm kind of proud enough of it how the direction it's going so far so I can't I actually can't wait to get it out there and can't wait to have it have it released basically and do the launches and just get it out there. That'll be very cool. It'll be, It'll be exciting to, to get that out and the reaction I'm sure will be very funny and uh, positive. And, and like, are you tying in, like are Everton aware, Everton FC aware of, of this coming? Are they hooked into it? Yeah, we've been talking to them about it obviously with trademark issues and things like that. So we're, we, we've the all clear and we're ready to go basically and we're hoping, hoping to launch it in Ireland in the Mercantile in Dublin, uh, well-known Everton Sporters Club haunt, then hopefully in the Dixie Dean Hotel in Liverpool, which would be unbelievable because that's obviously the Evertonian quarter hotel. And then we'll probably do a launch in Galway as well uh, in the town hall before our show in March next year. So let us see a little launches here and there and obviously we'll be selling them at the shows as well and you can order them online and all that so just dying to get it finished and dying to I just want to I want to have it in my hands you know that kind of way like I'm, I'm dying to hold a physical copy like so very interesting stuff like when I take a step back and I'm conscious of time we'll, we'll probably I tr- try to wrap up around an hour or so but like what you've created and the different angles that you're coming at multi kind of talented in lots of ways there would you consider yourself a businessman now, uh, like an entrepreneur in a way? Jesus, uh, I don't know. People have called me that, but I'd say more of a chancer. Self-deprecating, <laughs> anyway. But, but like you are. Well, that's what I. That's what I am. That's what I do. My whole thing is kind of pulling the piss out of myself. I suppose I, I'm never. Pride will never be my my downfall, anyway. That's for sure. Like. I, if anything, I find it hard to be proud of certain things and find it hard to be proud of what I do. But now and again, I do. But I suppose it's just it's a character flaw, or maybe a, a powerful character trait. I don't know. But I suppose 
like we like to do things ourselves. A lot of what we do, we've always done it ourselves. There's never been a middleman. We've never had this person do this for us or things like that. Mainly because I'm a bit of a workaholic and a bit of a control freak. So I wouldn't trust people to have that done. You know, I'd be on to Sinead, like, did you answer that email? She'd go, no. And I'd be like, for fuck's sake, why didn't you answer that? You know, it's kind of like, so I, I'd nearly take on everything myself just to not have someone not reply late or reply late, you know, so. But, like, obviously, we're kind of hoping to step back a bit next year. So we've MPI artists, they're an Irish-based agency and they're going to organize our tour for 2020 so that takes a lot of a lot of stress off us i suppose like sure oh, absolutely because my only comparison here is like i'm doing this podcast i have a day job and the the thing that the thing i enjoy most is this part where i'm talking to you or, or a guest and uh, it's the part that's the most important part of, of the whole thing it's the content but i could easily spend three times the amount on just editing and posting online and trying to build yeah. up a following and yeah. all of that yeah. stuff is stuff that yeah. I've learned an awful lot about and it's great to know but it's not the part that is the real juice yeah. like you know yeah yeah oh yeah like like our, our social media you now it, it takes I'd say a good a good three hours a day just to be updating the social media and just to be tracking things and boosting posts and putting up a poster for the gig and putting up an Instagram post and obviously trying to do them differently so they're not, you know, different different posts for different platforms and then, geez, well, how are the ticket sales going for blah, blah, blah? Maybe I should boost that event. Maybe I should put up a post and boost that. And so it's all, it's kind of all go really like social media-wise, like, you know, and, but I suppose you you just get so used to it, it becomes your job, you know. If you weren't doing that, you'd be like kind of lost or feeling you're, you're not achieving anything or, you know, that kind of way. Like, Yeah, it's interesting. Do you ever get the, I always still suffer from this and even though like I'm, when I post stuff, it's under that kind of rub of the green name. It's not, there's a bit of a detachment from me because before I put this together, I was very anti-social media. I wouldn't post a lot and just wouldn't feel comfortable mm. sharing a whole lot. But when I'm doing it under the the kind of alter ego, it, it's a bit easier. It's a bit of a separation. But I still find it difficult to say, fuck it, I've posted five times today about the this week's episode and I, I almost uh, like, oh, I don't want to be annoying people sort of thing, putting it out there yeah. too much. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, most definitely. Like you feel kind of like if you, no, if you do something too much or, even if it's not the same post or a different post, like you feel like, oh, should I post? Should I put do two posts today on Instagram, or should I be doing one a week, or should I be doing five a day, or you know, you, you kind of you never really hit that sweet spot because you don't know it changes. Like it changes so randomly and so fast. You know, on the Facebook page now, I wouldn't do as many posts. Twitter, I suppose, is for that really, isn't it? Twitter is the shorter stream of consciousness yeah shorter quicker you can put up like yeah 100 posts a day and most people wouldn't wouldn't bat an eyelid like like I, I never even go through my like twitter feed or whatever all I do is check notifications so I don't go through like a lot of people ask me like what kind of videos or what other comedians and sketch makers do I watch on Facebook and I'm like kind of none of them I don't really, I don't really like to do it I don't even watch myself never mind anyone else and you don't want to be kind of influenced by them either influenced by them yeah. yeah you know you don't want that you don't want yeah. to kind of you know because you can do it subconsciously where you say something that someone else has said and you don't want to do that or you might come back in a year oh, I have a great idea and it's not even your idea so you don't want to go down that route you know you want to keep keep to what you're doing and you know yeah. I'll watch the odd funny clip like now and again like just some great BBC3 ones and things like that that are I wouldn't copy them because you wouldn't be able because they're, you know, professionally filmed and all that. Sure. Things like that. But That's interesting. Like, I'd be the same when I started podcasting. I was listening to a lot of other people that I probably would have got some inspiration from. But as soon as I kind of found my own flow, I've stopped listening to nearly anyone in the same area because I just don't want to be yeah. subconsciously taking a question that they might have asked or adding yeah, just yeah. an inauthentic element to it and it's funny then because people ask me what podcast you listen to and I say that and 
uh, they're kind of surprised but I suppose when you explain it it makes sense and totally get where you're coming from there yeah it is definitely that idea like you don't want to kind of uh, as you were saying subconsciously kind of end up sounding like someone or cadence in your voice you know or just the manner of your questions or the, or the way you're interviewing you know for you like and obviously with me it's saying something that someone might have already said because like I've had I've had numerous topics and ideas in my videos copied like I had some that have been blatant rip-offs like and you know it's not nice so you don't want to end up doing it to anyone else even accidentally you know so yeah is there any one you would love to collaborate with or to kind of work with in the kind of world of comedy and that you might be inspired by well like my favourite comedian would be Stuart Lee right which not many people outside of comedy would really have heard of like okay very He's very niche, but he's an absolute genius. Like he's a master of satire. Like he's he's just incredible. Like, but obviously, his thing would be completely different to mine in a way. Like, but like if you were to say, I suppose if there was anyone in Ireland I'd love to do something with, it'd be probably the obvious to get Conor McGregor in the car. You know, for a short half an hour sketch. Yeah. Uh, half a half a minute, thirty second sketch. That would be the absolute ideal. Because obviously people say I look like them and the early videos were about me supposedly looking like Conor McGregor and yeah. I've done loads about Conor McGregor and we met him and, you know. Mm. Uh, I hated that time when we actually met him because myself and Sinead drove away then and I was thinking to myself, fuck, we were talking to him for five minutes and I didn't even ask, could we do a video? And I know he would have. Like, he's an absolute gentleman. Yeah, but yeah, obviously yeah. That's, that's what I'd love to do something with, like. But he's obviously very aware of you online, so I'm sure there's probably opportunities again that it might might happen. Yeah, it's just trying to get in contact with someone like that. Yeah, not when easy. People get so big, you don't, you can't even get a contact or email of a person of the person of the person of the person who knows them. You know that kind of way. Like you don't know who to contact. You have to go through agencies, and they're like, "Yeah, we can organise that a hundred grand." Like so, you know so. Getting people's <laughs> time. Have you ever heard heard of the, the? I don't know when this came up, but it's it's a satirical the show called the, the Day Today that was out in the middle of the the nineties with Chris Morris as the the kind of lead of that. Oh yeah, he did. He did Brass Eye as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That that was an absolute brilliant show. Like that was the amount of complaints I got because people couldn't tell the difference, and that is that is satire, you know. Yeah. It's like when you see a Waterford Whispers article now and yeah. it's like, oh, is this real? Or like, uh, I like all your other ones, but this is pushing it too far. And it's like, you know, to be very blunt, it's always tick records. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anyone else could look at it and go, ah, I see what you've done there. You know what I mean? Straight away. like, But but then, then it wouldn't exist without those two. Sure. You know, that's, that's the kind of genius of it. Like. Oh, it is. It's, it's absolute genius. Um, just a last couple of ones which about Sinead obviously she's not on the line tonight uh, but how much of a how much of a compliment to your style is, is her style and you know obviously maybe just touch on the importance of her role in the overall uh, business or the, the the whole work you do oh well obviously without Sinead it wouldn't happen like I, the live shows would definitely not happen and obviously in the sketches Without her playing the role of the straight man, it's just a mental in the care shouting at himself. You know, so you have to have that duality there and you have to have her counter in my madness. Mm. And without her, it wouldn't work. Like, and obviously she, like I'd come up with the main idea, but she'd come up with some cracking like one-liners now and again or cracking like uh, punchlines at the end, which like I'd never think of, you know. And so I suppose like she's, she's, She's fifty percent of it, you know, without a doubt. Like, is there is there stuff that she won't let you do? No, she'll always hear me out, and I nearly always manage to persuade her. There's been maybe once or twice where we didn't go ahead with it. I forget what they were now. I couldn't actually tell you. I'm, it's not like I'm holding back, but there was one or two, as far as I remember, that she kind of she kind of won out and said, "No, I don't think so." So that was 
they're very few and far between though I, I usually win but don't let her know that no no we'll, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll edit that part out um, <laughs> no it's it's been a fascinating uh, hour uh, Steve and uh, thanks again for taking the time to do it uh, as I said uh, I hope no, next time next time around I'd like to hopefully do it in person or, or, or connect when we're in the same uh, town or city or in, in, in a venue that is a, a little Absolutely. bit more the next time around Galway give us a buzz yeah no definitely um, I'll hopefully get down there at some point in the near future uh, look leave it there maybe just for folks that haven't ever because I have half the listeners that check out this show are in the US so hopefully there's going to be new people finding out about you and Farmer Michael as a result of listening to this how can folks find you online and maybe even look for some of your upcoming gigs uh, well my website steveotimothy.com and then obviously Everything else, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, is Sir Steve O'Timothy. So everything is there. And all the gigs will be there in events anyway, and all the videos are there. So if they want to check them out, and please don't judge me. I'm a nice person. Just getting that getting that out there quick <laughs> in case people start shouting. So, uh, yeah, basically that's, that's everything, I suppose. That's great. And I'm sure they'll have... Uh, figured that out after the last uh, hour or so because it's probably just that hopefully, side that hopefully. people haven't seen before well, just last one about the US have you ever thought about going over there doing any gigs do you get uh, much of a following over there yet we've been asked a few times we've been asked to go to Australia Dubai wow oh it's endless places but I'm obviously I have to get myself in a bit better frame of mind for flight as a person that's anxious and a control freak being in a plane is not conducive to that so but hopefully we'll get there we want to do obviously the kind of New England area we want to like Boston, Boston and yeah. you know yeah, we'd have to visit New York as well you know so and my uncles are always telling me that like random people they work with come up do you ever hear this Irish guy and like my uncles are there yeah he's my nephew <laughs> <laughs> you know so so yeah. for native native New Yorkers and things they're they're watching them too which is kind of Oh. Yeah. yeah I could see it going oh. down very well over there I've been to Boston work an awful lot and uh, obviously with the Irish connections over there yeah. in New York as well it would be interesting just one thing that came to me there as you said about the flights you know we talked about the idea of handing over or when you don't have a choice you kind of don't have to worry about it I suppose and those sort of scenarios when you're on a plane there's probably less choice there I don't know if there's angles that you could come at it um, I don't know maybe get just a, a private jet uh, maybe something like that yeah that'd be the only option wouldn't it or get myself completely and utterly langered as you'd say in Cork and fall asleep <laughs> but I don't drink so yeah. I, I don't drink anyway so no that's another thing that's not uh, not great for anxiety and depression that a lot of people in Ireland just don't heed at all yeah unfortunately yeah. I, I agree. I'm uh, 19 months or so without a, a, an alcoholic beverage at this point uh, because Fair I just bit, yeah. got to a point where I said it, the downsides were were uh, more than the ups and uh, gave it yeah, up. Uh, so yeah. I, I hear you there. It definitely helps with um, the 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 the, the, da- the dark side and the, the negative mood. And oh, definitely, most definitely. The yeah. vicious circle, like. absolutely, absolutely. That's a talk for another day. Um, I leave it there, Steve. Oh, look, thanks again, man. And uh, I look forward to sharing this and can't wait to, to hear uh, feedback and reaction from uh, from this great conversation. Thank you a lot. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it a lot, man. Have a good one. You too. Cheers, man. So this is the outro of the podcast, guys. You got to the end, and that is great. Please hang in here for another couple of minutes. I know most people won't, but maybe there's something here of interest. So check this out. First off, thanks so much for listening to this one, as well as maybe the hundred or so that's gone before it. Why not check them out if you haven't already? There's lots of good stuff in there. The whole podcasting journey for me has been a huge learning, and I'm trying to help you guys learn and improve as well. So much has changed over the last few years since I started it. I've really realized lots of the goals that I put out there and then realized so many unexpected benefits as well. And I think anytime you take on action towards a goal, you're going to pick up lots of things that you didn't expect along the way. And hopefully they're good things. In this particular episode, was there any one or two things that jumped out? 
maybe you could take a pen and paper out right now because this is something that you might think of during the episode but never do do it now take it out write down a goal that you're going to set yourself as a result of something you learned from this episode put a plan in place and then work towards it applying yourself deliberately over time take ownership build a habit improve get one percent better share accountability with somebody you know in a buddy system and learn and grow and improve that's what it's all about that's my hopefully inspirational piece done other areas to note check out the website robofthegreen.ie you can consume everything there for free there is obviously the podcast there's video one minute monday clips there's articles uh, not enough but i'd like to put more there if you're interested in putting one there let me know and there's a get better at page which i'm starting to add new content to over time there's a feedback page if you want to email me rob at rob of the instead but it's all about trying to engage you and get you to a place of improvement so i'm open to feedback as i said ways you can help me is by following me on the socials at rob of the is the website or at rob of the green on all the social platforms subscribe to the podcast on any of the apps that you might listen to it on talk about it tell a friend about it tell your family members about it share some of the ideas not only to your friends but to me is there anything i can improve upon sign up to the newsletter that's there as well i'm experimenting again with a group called slack rob of the green on slack this is really for a shared accountability environment and sharing ideas you can sign up to that on the website as well all of this is obviously all free but there is also an option where you could subscribe to my patreon site and make a small donation for the content that we do it's there it's totally up to you everything that is coming in through that or could come in through that will go into making the podcast better so to close i am always trying to improve and get better change is difficult i know that but it's all about taking the first step learning something applying yourself moving forward you can do this i've been able to improve pushing myself outside the comfort zone learning and i think if i can do it so can you don't overreach don't set yourself unrealistic goals one percent at a time is enough but it's all about starting and that will bring you on your pursuit of betterness to a great place thanks for sticking to the very end talk to you next time and take care good luck